Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. I am your host, Mike Maroney, alongside my fellow members of the media, Jay Woodson and McLean Boyd. I'm not asking you guys how you're doing. Are you guys ready for hey, a good show? I'm doing great, Mike. I'm doing great. I just I, I'm I glad we got that in there. I like, I'm just I like, letting you know. I'm doing I great. like Mike's I like Mike's new intro there. Are you ready for a good show? I am ready yeah. for a good show. There we go. See, hey, I like right. where we are with this. That was that was a nice change up, Mike. I wasn't expecting it, but I think it definitely needs it has legs and we yeah. need to uh make it more of a normalcy. Are you ready to talk some golf that we didn't watch this weekend? Yes. Uh, we're, we're yeah, I've got my game turned down on my mic. I mean, I'm I'm gainless right now. And I'm <laughs> yeah, we I'm might so actually hear all of Jay's commentary this week. Jay's officially, for all of our listeners, I'm sure you know, Jay's officially always has the worst audio of the three of us. Terrible. He has the most expensive mic. The most expensive mic, and it's and it <laughs> never works right. Yeah. That's the problem. The guy, it has too many like options and and dials and knobs too, and too many too many settings. Yeah, he had fiber optic literally ran to his house for this podcast. And <laughs> I mean, still, it's a big fiber optic out. trunk cable that's like. This thick. We That's ran right. that bitch all the way here. I'm I'm glad you created that visual for the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Use your imagination. It's this thick. <laughs> uh, there's a joke there. I'm gonna let that go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um I, I still I'm still chuckling at the, the clip I posted on Instagram, you know, of all the counterbalance talk. And I was like, how do I break this down? I was telling Jay this weekend, I was with him. I'm like, how do I break this down to a one minute clip? You know, they like force you to fo- post a one minute clip on Instagram. I'm like, we talked for a good solid 15 minutes with a lot of good points. And I was scrolling through and I listened and I listened and I was kind of watching the video portion of it. And there right at the beginning was the best because McLean uses validified, not a real word. And Jay's just like, fist pumping him while he's casually drinking bourbon out of a wine glass. I'm like, <laughs> this isn't epitomizing margin on golf podcast. I'm not sure what does. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that, was, that was great. <laughs> Did you, have you guys noticed how many guys have all of a sudden started toying around with the counterbalance? I, Tons. I watched a little Crazy. bit early, early coverage of the three M and it seemed like, Every other guy that they were showing had one. Cam Young, Justin Thomas. Um, there's a lot of guys lot of that are out there experimenting right now. I almost think, and this is uh, this is you know pure speculation and opinion. Um, and you you could you guys could both you know call me out, but I almost think from my history using the counterbalance putter um, and mallet putters, I think that I feel like a mallet putter is almost designed or better suited for a counterbalanced setup shaft or set or shaft like all the times 100%. that i've tried, tried to use a full when i say mallet i mean i mean i'm talking like a full mallet not like like a like a scotty cameron like fastback or like an, like still looks like a a blade but that's a little wider i'm talking like a full big heavy mallet some of these putters that are 370 380 grams like i almost feel like you're better suited to use a counterbalance setup with those than rather than a traditional, you know, 35, 34 inch shaft, because it almost helps negate how heavy the head is and how much it wants to swing. You know, I don't, I don't know. Again, that th- there's no science behind that. I just, from my well, past, so I- using a, 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 a mallet putter, I, 
The only time I putted well with one was when I was counterbalanced. So I like a, and I want your opinion, McLean. I like a essentially heel shafted putter, right? One of the short flow necks. I, I like the, the face moving. I have a little bit more of a longer rhythmical swing, and I like that. And so I use one of those little bit wider bodied blades. Whenever I've tried it with a mallet in the short flow neck, I feel like the weight of the putter is, the face is too out of control because of the bigger head. And I don't know if that is just my perception or if that is reality, but I feel like if I use a mallet and I've messed around with some putters because I have about 60 of them and I'll occasionally put something else in the bag. But when I go to a mallet, I feel like I have to have like a plumber's neck. So there's not as much toe flow in it. When I go back to more of a blade or that wide body blade, I have more of the heel shafted where I can let that thing swing a little bit. McLean, any validity? Is that validified at all? <laughs> it, it is to a certain extent. I mean, some of that is going to change with the golfer, quite frankly. You know, it depends on what their open and close rate is. It depends on the tempo that they have when they're when they're putting with the putter uh, or when they're stroking the putt. So, yes and no. I mean, it, it is validified. Your, your thought is validified without question. But on the back side of that, it comes down to face control when when you add that counterbalance, that additional weight. So for certain players that may have putted you know square to square for the majority of their career and they miss a lot of their putts right, for example, um, having that additional toe hang, having that additional open to close ratio will help them actually square up the putter. Um, you will see the majority of these counterbalance putters we're seeing are more heel shafted. They are closer to face balance, if not face balance. So I think that comes down to being able to control the face angle. And also, it also depends on, and I'll say also like nine more times in this one statement. Um, so that means that it comes down to the weighting of that particular head. You know, is it something that's more back weighted? Is it something that's more front weighted? It, it, there's a lot of differential, a lot of variables that it comes down to when you look at the amount of putter heads that we have out there. And there are ones that are going to be more, um, you know, centrally weighted. And what I mean by that is that maybe it has an equal amount of weight forward. It has an equal amount of weight back. And it's not going to influence the open to close ratio of that putter during the stroke versus some that are going to be more front weighted, more back weighted. If you have a, a more back weighted putter, for example, you will have one that wants to really, if you're releasing it, it's going to really release. It's really going to try to shut it down on you. Uh, if you have one that's more front weighted, it's really going to try to hold that face almost a little bit more open. Now, both of those can be a beneficial or can be beneficial for different putters, different styles of uh, the putting stroke that exists. So it's tough to say with your experience, Mike, that that is just the absolute same for everyone else out there as we know sure. golf. And my experience wasn't with counterbalance. My just is from a like Jay was talking, the difference of a blade head to a mallet head. It doesn't yeah. play exactly the same way. No, and, and I'm with you. So like I don't I, I my putter is counterbalanced, but it's 34 inches. Um and I putt with a mallet with a short flow neck on it. That's what I've putted with for a while. I really enjoy that. That's what I like. It's what I put my best with that I've seen thus far. Um but as we know, putting is one of the most personal parts of the game. And 
what works for one guy is not going to work for the next. Now, with some of what we're seeing on the PGA Tour, you're seeing a very centralized weighted mallet. And what I mean by a centralized weight is that it's it's pretty much constant throughout the entire. If you look at the putter that Ricky, Wyndham, those guys have used that have, has gotten a lot of you know noteworthy in the media, they are strapped with lead tape, not on one side of the putter, not forward biased, not rear biased. It is the entire bottom end of that putter adding the weight to counterbalance and create the correct um, the correct balance point for that additional weight that they're putting into grip. So from there, it, and it's also a heel a heel shafted putter without a plumber's neck, without a flow neck. So it's something that is going to be more of a face balance putter. But ultimately, for, from that side of thing, it, it's what you would call, I don't know, in my experience. And again, I'm not the putter fitting guru out there. By no means, the listeners, please do not take this as saying that this, I know everything that comes to putter fitting. I don't. You guys should all listen to McLean. If it doesn't work, blame him. 100%. <laughs> I'll take it. You can get my email address. It's gfy <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, but when you have a more of a face balance putter, you have something that's weighted very similarly across the blade itself. It's going to respond more as a face balance putter. So it's going to give you less control of the open to close ratio. If you go to something more heels or more flow neck or plumber's neck, you're going to start to introduce more toe hang. You're, you're going to start to introduce more open to close. And that's going to fit different players based off of their stroke. And it does change a little bit with that counterbalance. I mean, it really does. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, Mike, I, I didn't give a, a succinct answer there. For no, the you're, no, you're good. But the the synopsis of everything would say, try a couple of different options, match it up with your stroke, get custom fit for your putter. Don't be afraid to try something counterbalance, but also take a look at, I, I would say in the counterbalance options, I would lean towards something that is heel shafted and is weighted all the way around the head. Don't go out there and take your blade and throw a 38 inch shaft in it and a counterbalance grip on it because the head is not going to be able to support the additional weight. And it's not the open to close ratio is not made specifically for that. If we're talking about the general public and what's going to benefit them, I would go something closer to face balance. And I would go with something that um, has weighting throughout the entire head, something that's very high MOI. And that has that, that's I, centralized weighting just doesn't sit right with me. I've said it like three times. And it just doesn't feel right. I'm just being honest. Um, something that is weighted, it's evenly distributed. There yeah. you go. Oh, there you go. Coin that one. I like yeah. that. Evenly I distributed. I gotta be the first one that said that. Evenly distributed throughout the head. Um, our vocabulary is not great on this show. Ah, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I made up a little bit, but kind I mean, of not really. We're I not English. Like, we're not English majors. That's for no, sure. We're definitely not. Uh, I got um, an email from Webster's earlier, looking for me to sign off on Validified. <laughs> we got to get dictionary. it in there. It's got to be yeah. in there. Um, going in the Urban Dictionary. Speaking of, you know, I don't, we didn't really talk about it last week, but I used that, you know, lab golf directed force, the 2.1, the really big head headed putter in the state open. I just, all the research that I was reading about how it stayed square, you know, to the stroke. So it's, it's severely heel weighted putter that the, basically if you hold it, if you hold the shaft, you know, on like try to balance it on your finger and you hold it up. This putter stays square up and down, toes up, straight up and down 90 degrees. Whereas if I took a 
know, like a severely heel weighted putter, the toe would hang to the ground. And if I took a mid hang putter, it would hang at like a 45 to the ground. If I took a face balance putter, uh, it would be, you know, perpendicular to the, the sky. And their claim to fame is that this putter stays square to the stroke better than anyone else. And, you know, I, I, I kind of bought, bought into it and I still kind of buy into it for the right player. Uh, I think this putter is perfect for someone who one struggles with hitting, hitting their lines or, or hitting the ball in the center of the face um, or like a five to a 30 handicap. You're going to hit good putts more consistently with that putter hands down uh, for majority of players at that five plus or I'm sorry, that five handicap to like 30 handicap. I will say if you are, if you are a scratch or a low handicap player, I think you lose a, you lose a little bit of um, lose a little bit of the feedback for me. I was hitting putts that were rolling end over end and they weren't going in. And I was, you know, skimming edges left and right, left and right, left and right. And I couldn't make the adjustments because normally if I use my blade putter and I miss a ball, let's just say to the right, I know I pushed it because I typically, I just know how the blade flows kind of like what you were saying, McLean, you, I have a kind of a mid toe hang Newport style putter. I know it's when I miss it, right. I know I just didn't release the putter. I kind of came up and out of it or, and, and with this, this lab golf putter, I couldn't tell like every putt felt perfect. Every putt was rolling end over end, but I didn't get that feedback. Like, Hey, did I really leave the blade open? Cause I hit it. So it, it felt solid because it's such a, all the weight is distributed, spread out so much along this big, big head. You, you, you just don't get the feedback. So again, it's worth it. It was worth an experiment. Obviously I did it during the state open. So, you know, Somebody could say that's a stupid idea, but I, I just, at that point, I was like, let's do it. You know, I've read enough about it. I'm going to give it a shot. And, and I did roll the ball great with the putter that the ball just didn't go in the hole. And that was the part that like, again, I never felt like I miss hit a putt, but I'm sure that I did, but I wasn't getting the feedback because the putter is almost too good uh, for, I think for a better player. And this was the specific model that I had. I know they've got three different levels, a mid level, which is kind of like a, a smaller mid-level mallet, and then they've got a blade putter. So, and I haven't tried those. So, I have tried the mid-level one, and I didn't like it. But um, I don't know. It's just kind of crazy to think. Similar with, with like blades, you know. See a lot of the top players. You know, Scotty Scheffler says he has so much control using Tiger Woods style blade. He's been using that for three years now. Um, but he says I, I I have the feedback that I need, so I can make the corrections when I go. And it's, if there's if there's too much. I don't, I don't want to say technology because that's not fair because technology is good. But if it's if it's too forgiving for the better player, I think they lose a little bit. They kind of go backwards. So I don't well, know. That I was think you also need to, yeah. I think think you need to use a different person selection. than Scotty Scheffler as your example. But Yeah, because yeah, he hits it so good. But I mean, again, but a lot of those guys, Rory uses blades. I mean, Rory a lot is, of those top tier players use blades. Is, Rory, Rory uses so bad. the flow neck mallet. Um. Mm-hmm. But long story short, he bounces around though. I was talking, so I I was talking about Scotty Sheffield using Tiger Woods blades, irons. I was was comparable to the irons, like wide. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not comparing Scotty Sheffield's putting stroke, but no, the the, some of the better players use continue continue to use blades because they get the feedback right away and they know, hey, I hit that off the toe. I need to make this adjustment 
it, you know, and that, that yeah, it's yeah, yeah. a lot of it's the feedback. Like it's, it's the predictability, like, Hey, I hit two balls off the toe. I know this next shot, I need to do this. But if you don't have that, you don't have that feedback, you don't have that predictability, then you can't make those subtle adjustments because you're almost kind of numb to it. Um, so I, I don't know that. And that sounds, you know, sounds kind of silly, but it, 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 I think there is something to be said for that, but I, it, to find a way to balance the two with, you know, performance and science and innovation. Like I'm, I'm all about innovating. Like if you find something that's better, I'm down for it, but not if it takes away from the, you know, the grand scheme of things. So it's finding that balance between the two, but. Um, so what, I, what I would say is that, especially when we talk about the majority of golfers out there, which are over a five handicap. Yeah. There are way too many players putting with blade putters. I, I agree. No question. One of the I reasons that we see it is because that's something that has always been a staple in the community of golf. They're so used to watching players putt with a blade. They grew up putting with a blade. They, they may have used a bullseye at one point, depending on how long they've been playing the game. And there's very little technological benefit to doing so. Most putters should have some sort of mallet in their bag. I, I agree, uh, especially now that we have the variety of mallets with the variety of necks that are offered. The blade is something that people go to because it, it provides somewhat of a comfort for look. But one of the things that we see more often in golf than anything else is people moving into equipment decisions based off of look, not off of performance. And the one thing from all my custom fitting history and all my custom fitting background, my my uh, basis for making a change has always been, does this benefit the scorecard? You have to sure. sometimes look outside of what you're used to looking at. We all want to look at blade. We all want to or look what at your that. preconceived notion is. Yeah, sure. that's exactly right, Mike. We all want to look at a blade putter. We all want to look at a blade iron. They look fantastic. There's so much artwork there. But it doesn't yeah, offer you I, the benefit I, I, of generating lower scores when you add them up sure. to the end of eighteen hole. I agree. And I think probably ninety nine percent of players would 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 agree with you, and I even agree with you. I'm just I'm I'm saying from a, from a putting standpoint, from a, a, again, like if if you play enough golf and you, I'm, I'm talking your lower handicap players or even your plus player plus handicap players, there is a balance point between technology and and feedback and being able to predict your next shot like having that predictability having that feedback knowing how to make those adjustments so it's like a balance point like hey i've used this mallet enough i still it's very forgiving for me but i still get a little bit of feedback i know when i've i haven't hit a good putt but if you go too far you know one way it's like it'd be like using you using you're a scratch golfer it'd be like you using the biggest widest sole you know iron you're like ah like yes there's a lot of technology there but i don't need that i'm not it's not gonna make me better like i'm gonna lose a sense of control uh a sense of predictability uh and some feedback and you're not going to use those irons so finding that balance point i think putters are no different uh, i think it's the well, same thing like, no, there, i feel like is. i went when i used that putter i went and used like a game improvement like a you know a graphite shaft a super wide sole iron basically is the the way that I'm I'm putting it. And I think it's great for majority of golfers, but for me, 
I felt like I it may, it took I took a step back. That's a good analogy, so, Jeff. So let me yeah. let me throw this out there because the only thing I will say, I'm not trying to refute it, but at the same time, I am going to offer a different perspective here. So the iron head debate that you made there, the iron head, you know, analogy that you made is a little bit different because at the end of the day, there's so many golfers that swing that head at a different speed. So the spin and launch characteristics differ because of the amount of speed that they're able to create and the amount of um, times they're able to find the center of the golf club. There's a difference there. When we look at the putting stroke, it's much more similar across the range of golfers, more so than a full seven iron or a full driver swing. So when it goes down to it, what I would feel very confident in saying is that there's a mallet out there for you with the right neck. Yeah that you will putt better with than you will long-term a blade. And I know oh, it's yeah. tough for you because you, you and I know, I know you'll. No, I, I agree. At the same time, it, I agree. It, it's one of those things to where, you know, when you look at the benefit of that mallet and why mallets have become so popular, and you look at the amount of top golfers that are now putting with a mallet that now has some sort of flow to it, some sort of open-close ratio, more similar to yeah. a blade, that's why they're successful. So but, I, I I don't think I'm not, I'm not, yet, yeah, but I would not say that. And I mean, you know, we can bring a lot of the top players into, into this talk. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, it does come down to the fact that a lot of guys that are still putting with the blade have not found the right mallet for them yet. Sure, I, I, I would agree with you. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I, I agree that I think majority of players should be playing a mallet a hundred percent. And that, and I think I I said that earlier. I think ninety nine percent of them should be playing a mallet. Um, I'm just, I was speaking more of the of the the I went from one extreme to the other. And but to your point with different speeds hitting. I mean, I think that you'd be surprised at how many. It, it, we're just talking in percentages. How how close a really good player hits the ball to the center of the face. Uh, let's just say a plus two or three handicap player who's a great putter. And that those margins are really tight to the center uh, and maybe not even as tight as you think, though. But and then you spread that to a five handicap, a 10 handicap, and you see how far off off the center they hit it. I agree. I mean, if, you, if you look at if you look at it in percentages now, granted, they're not missing it way out on the toe. But and if you if you get granular with it and you look at the percentage off the center of the face, it's pretty evenly distributed based on handicap between a great putter and a you know a, and a and and a let's just say a great putter who's a scratch golfer and a mediocre putter who's a twenty handicap. I think those stats are comparable between those two from a putter to iron player even to driver. Um, I think it's just the skill set. Um, but but no, to your to your point, I, I agree. I think majority of players you know should play a mallet. You know if, uh, but I do think there is there is a sense of. Um, there's a sense of predictability. And again, uh, there's a little bit of um, feedback that's lost when, when you go to some of these heads um, and you just have to, like you said, you have to find the balance. I think playing with it and experimenting with them. And I mean, I'm trying them. I've used a blade forever and I, but I've tried, I used a counterbalance spider um, and actually played well uh, in 2012. I used that and put, putted well with it. One has stayed open with it. Um, and I've used a couple other, you know, you know, putters that are, I've, I've, you know, pushed it. I've used it for a little bit, and but I always end up going back because I feel like when I start putting poorly, it's because I can't find the line. Like I'm missing the line and I can't get it. I can't get it back. And I can't find a way like, Hey, I keep missing my line. What's going on. And I think it really comes down to 
the feedback. So again, I'm not saying we should all use Wilson 8802s um, or ping answers. I'm just saying, don't be afraid to go back and forth and try it. If you're using a mallet and you don't have success and you're a good player, it's okay to try a blade to see if you can maybe get some feedback and see what your stroke is like. You know, hey, I've noticed that I, when I miss a bunch of putts, I'm hitting a little off the heel and I'm pulling it just a little bit. Okay, well, maybe there's some adjustments that you need to make. One, maybe with the lie, the length, but also with the shape of the head. Um, and then sure. you know, find that balance or or go get fit too. But, um, sure. Sure. I, you know, and I talked about this. I went with, you know, a shout out to a buddy of ours, Brian Jackson. He's director of instruction at Hermitage uh, Country Club in Richmond, Virginia. But he's he's really, he's, he's um get really gotten into the sand putt lab and, and all the characteristics. And he's, he's doing a good job of knowing what to tell certain players and what not to tell certain players. Um, and Mike, you know, you've worked with track, man. There's so much information there. Um, and sand putt labs the same way. I mean, it's like, there's like a hundred, you know, 200 different, you know, characteristics that you can measure uh, for these players using, you know, using the sand putt lab. So yeah, he's, I mean, he's getting pretty good at understanding what things are important, what things you don't need to pay attention to and picking out the bigger, the bigger, the big picture items. But, um, you know, if you have the availability to jump on something like that, it's definitely worth it. And it tells you how well you line up to the hole, like, and the pace of your stroke, everything that you can think of where uh, center hits, are you hitting up? Are you hitting down? Do you hook it? Do you, do you keep it open? You know, it's, it's pretty cool. And you you can see your tendencies and it's funny, like playing and playing as much golf as I've played and, and putting and spending so much time on the putting green practicing. I know what my tendency is. I kind of like to, I kind of, I'm a little bit more of a shut face. I take it back a little shut and I kind of push it a little bit coming through. Um, and, the, and again, if you watch it on Sam putt lab, you would barely even see it, but I know what it is. Um, and it's really a matter of me kind of controlling it or managing that. Some days I do it less and I putt great. Some days it's more pronounced and I don't hit my line. So it's kind of neat to ex- experiment with it, get in there, try it. And you can see, oh, that's what I do. And then when you go play, you have one or two keys that you need to go back and, and change or fix or work on. So you, you're not in the dark. You're like, why did I putt so bad? Oh, it's just, it was these two things that I need to continue to practice with. But yeah, um, I think the the frustrating thing for me as a as a golf professional is there's the options of technology of Sam Putt Lab, but none of the manufacturers have made a great putter fitting system. Hmm. Where it's like you, if you do this, use this putter or use this shaft or use or this just putter. just the interchangeability, right? So you, all these mm-hmm. companies have these; they're all just heads now and a bunch of shafts. And you can interchange and you can change lie angles and lofts and all this kind of stuff on, on whether it's woods or irons, just hasn't really translated to putters yet. And so it's like, okay, well, I like this head, but I don't, I can't have 70 demos of multiple heads in multiple lengths in multiple hosel configurations. Well, P- PXG, I will say, you know, they've they've had their run of the mill here of late and that and and things seem to be going the wrong way, but I don't know how how good the heads were, the feel of the heads, but the putter fitting setup was system is the best of anyone out there. Yeah, it's the best I've seen. You could interchange. They had what seven, eight, nine heads. Yep. That you could that you could look at, and they had maybe four, 
four to five different hosel configurations. They had, they, have, they had the three. They had the they you know, your typical had double the, bend face balance. They had the plumber's neck and then the heel shafted, you know, the flare half, neck. The half, the half offset or what I, I've always called it a half off, offset yeah, or a same neck. thing. Yeah. Um, when that's pretty cool. And then, you know, again, then you have the shaft options, which now we've talked about it, then getting they that's gotten crazy. And I and I told you guys I put a you know a USB double extra stiff graphite shaft, 120 gram shaft, which is actually pretty light. I guess if you compare it to now, if I were to throw a you know, a extra stiff dynamic gold, what's that? 128, 129 grams or something like that. So very comparable to an extra stiff steel shaft, but a little lighter. So not super, you know, super crazy, but gives you the stability they had reduced deflection. I can't, it still feels like I'm putting with a steel shaft, the weight of it, the it's almost even feels softer, even though this, the actual, the, the torque on that shaft is even lower, super, it's stiffer. I mean, the whole nine yards. So I don't know. Pretty cool. I'm going to keep experimenting, but I've put it in that sick, that sick pro that I have that I've had for 10 or 12 years, but it's a really cool putter. LA golf has bought the rights to sick golf now. And they've, uh, they've incorporated the, the four tiered face, I guess. So the top of the head is four degrees of loft. And then the, the second quarter is three, two, and then one at the bottom. And, the idea behind that is if you hit the ball more in the middle to the upper part of the face, you're going to use the right amount of loft, three to four degrees. If you hit it on the, if you mean up and you hit off the bottom, that means you're only swinging, hitting the ball with one degree of loft on the face, but you're probably swinging up on it more than you would if you were hitting at the top of the face. So that's their way of balancing out the loft, which I don't know. It's pretty, pretty ingenious. Yeah, it's um, interesting. Um, it is a little weird to think that you've got the faces and flat. You know, but it's, it's too bad brushing the shambo is part of that company now. I know. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd like it. It's hard to give me for me to give him credit when they've had him as uh, part of the ownership group of that company now. But mm-hmm. all right, so good, yeah, good little little putter chat there, kind of continuation of our conversation last week. Deep. Um, we went deep. I feel like we should uh, tip our cap to Lee Hodges. He did win the 3M Open this week. Um, well, Jay, you, you and I were out of town for a couple of days and so didn't get a chance to watch much of it. Um, I did, there's one one topic I want to I want to bring up because it made some headlines. So JT Poston made an eight on eighteen, cost himself almost three hundred thousand dollars by doing it. He was sitting solo second and he had a a couple shot lead three-shot lead over third. Do you fault him at all? So no. someone no. made a comment. You know, he went for it. He had that sketchy lie. He hits it inside the penalty area line on a downslope, all carry over water. In his mind, he, he responded to the tweet saying, you know, hey, I'll, 10 times out of 10, I'm trying to win a tournament. I'm trying to make an eagle here. He needed Hodges to make a bogey. Was that what it was? Or Yeah, it was. Yeah. He was... He was 20 under Hodges was Hodges was 23. Yeah, Hodges, he, that's weird. Is it Hodges was, I guess it is Hodges was. Yeah. Just yeah. Sounds, doesn't sound right, but Hodges was 23 under par. Yeah. And was in a, actually in a good spot, but I, I could, I could see where someone would say like, Hey, look, the guy was in the middle of the fairway. He had an opportunity. He's going to make, probably make a birdie or an Eagle. 
Um, or no, he had laid up. No, he I mean, had laid up. Yeah, he had laid up. But he was like, "I'm." He's gonna make a par. He's not gonna make a bogey. But you don't know. You don't know. You don't Nerves know. Nerves could get why, to him. He could, you know, pull one short by himself. He, but he had a kind of a really. He had a kind of a cruddy lie. Um, trying to hit this shot over over the water, but. I don't blame him. He uh, listened to the interview with him after, and and he was very honest. He's like, look, he's like, we didn't come here to finish second. I came here to win. I mean, I respect it. Like, you know, he he gave up a lot of cash. He was like, I'm trying to win. Like, winning is the winning is it. And I think that's what, like Kevin Kisner said, they pay a lot of money for second or twenty second twentieth place or whatever. And I get that. Um, but the, you're remembered when you win. You know, unless yeah. you're outspoken like Kisner and you can say stuff like that and people remember you for being outspoken. But if you're a winner on on any level, then people are going to remember you. He's like, I came here to win. Sorry. And Poston's had a pretty good I think part of like who it is plays a role, too. Right. He's had a pretty good career here the last four or five years, has a couple wins. He's top 50 in FedEx Cup points. He's made 13 million in his career. It wasn't like he was a rookie sure. trying to. Trying to make establish the, himself, make the playoffs. I think it's different. If you're if you're a guy who's on that 70th bubble to make the FedEx Cup playoffs, and you're a rookie and you need to keep your card, then yeah, you might think about I need to just hold on to second place here. Sure. But for him and his position, he, you know, he's exempt on tour next year. He's not really worried about. It. He's got 13 million in the bank. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, well, three hundred thousand well, or he's two made 13 million. You don't have that in the bank. Sure, true. He's not at the bank, but he's made 13 million. But you know, he's he, like, leave that, leave that all aside. At the end of the day, what we want to see is guys that are going out there and trying to win sure. a golf tournament. He could have laid up and taken second place, but the best thing and the, the best thing for the viewership, the best thing for anyone who's a fan of the sport is a guy that's going out there and trying to win. And I support what JT did. I support that entire mentality. He did cost himself a ton of money. His, his bills will still be paid. He's going to be all right. Uh, he may regret slightly. He was like, man, I wish, wish I could have gotten that in for seven. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a lot better. But at the end of the day, he tried to win the golf tournament, especially when you're going up with a guy like Lee Hodges. This is his first opportunity to win. You know that nerves can play into that factor. They, they can factor into that decision. They can factor into the play. And Lee had not hit that third shot in there to six inches prior to him hitting the shot that he hit, you know, Lee had, yeah, yeah. Up and JT's looking at it like, look, he had to lay up. A lot of stuff can happen. There's some water in play here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this a run. Maybe I can hit the miracle shot, make Eagle and make this a golf tournament. So well, what it all boils down to is the fact that JT made the right choice. And that's the choice that we all want to make. Here's the best part about it. When money's not on the line, that's the same choice that we all make. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Every one of us make that same decision. And that's pure golf because what yeah. ends up happening on the PGA Tour in a lot of situations is that the money does influence decision making. And I'm not saying it's not rightfully so. I'm just saying that's the reality of, of you know professional golf. But in that situation, to go out and win the golf tournament and try to win is the most respectful thing you can do. It's what Tiger would have done. It's what all the greats would have done because they want to win. And I respect JT for making oh, that absolutely. decision, taking that risk. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. So it only cost them 300K. Um, <laughs> honestly, honestly, but to your point, strategically, it it was the right play. He was at 20 under. The next closest guy was at 17. Like you go for this green thinking, hey, if I, if I pull off a great shot and make eagle, he makes bogey and get in a playoff. If I don't, I'm probably going to make double. 
he ended up making he ended up making eight, making triple. But the odds are, like, if you do hit a bad shot, you sh- you know you should be able to drop, hit it on the green, and and still be able to make your double. So, and he still would have he still would have finished one one ahead of the next next guy. So, and and, and granted, that was a, that's a secondary thought because the goal is to win. But if you really if you're really trying to calculate it, you're like, you know what, hey, I sh- you know, no, you're 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 dead right there because he three putted from like twenty feet. Yeah, that he he's the, I mean even after hitting it in the water, he still kind of blew it a little bit once he was up there. Like that yeah. was it w- that wasn't the only shot that gave it away. Like how yeah. do you, he he should have been able to get it in the house even exactly. with a, even with a bogey maybe. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Anyways, it just it made some headlines. I I agree with the decision. Go for it. Try to win the tournament. And I, you live like, with the consequences. I like, I like he's pretty down to earth dude. Um, I think I probably brought this up before, but I did I did play with him uh a couple times in his rookie, basically rookie year of professional golf, not on the PJ tour, but I played with him um in his first professional event, I think, right after he graduated from college. He I didn't play very well. I think he shot 76 or seven and seventy-eight. And but you know, you play with a you play with a guy and you can tell when you're like, this guy's pretty good. Like yeah. he he could he was a good iron player. And he putted it. He putted it really well. He's got a kind of a unique putting stroke. Um, he sets up real open, really open. And it looks like he just kind of shoves everything on his line, but he puts it good. Um, but anyway, you, you can tell when when you play with somebody. Like, yeah, and he won. He won like he won like seven or eight times his senior year in college. You're like, I know you just shot seventy six or seventy seven, but. I, I can tell that you. you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to define you. But I will say yeah. we're not – We to this point in this podcast, we've not given Lee Hodges the credit that he deserves. Sure. Uh, yeah. That guy wire to wire, right? played some golf. And watching the final round, I got to be honest with you, I was so impressed with the fairway woods that he hit on 6 and 12 and converted twice for Eagle. He hit these big high cuts. The the one on six is unbelievable because he literally just covered the water to a, a front left flag over the water. And he had a cut in there over the water and landed it just over the fringe. It stopped shortly. He had about 10, 12 feet for eagle. He converted that. The shot of the tournament was on 12, though. Well, I just watched it. The replay's on. Yeah. 254 to the flag. Guy hits, I don't know if it was three wood or five wood, it was a fairway metal. I got to imagine it might have been five wood because it came off at 169 ball speed, which is also incredible to do with a, a fairway wood. Um, and it literally stopped on a dime and ended up one foot from the hole. Yeah, I mean, that it. ball didn't did not release more than two and a half feet from the ball mark. Now, some of that could be due to course conditions, but I'm just talking, you know, statement of a fact. Sure that he flighted a high-cut fairway wood into a flag from 254 and hit it to 12 inches. The ball didn't release more than two feet. Yeah. That was <laughs> incredible. And also worth mentioning, watching his golf swing is something that you could teach people about. That is an pretty good, incredible it? move. What a great move that that guy puts on it's the ball. It's a little bit of a quirky setup, though. A little bit of a quirky setup, but once it's in motion, you're like, ooh, that gets yeah, the motion's really good. good. He just that sets up a, a lot of good positions. He sets up a little close with his feet and a little open with his shoulders. Ah, that, I think that's camera angle. I think that's more camera angle. 
Um, maybe he gets in there. The only thing that I saw is that he gets he gets leaned more into his left side than I would have imagined. Um, but he sets the angle correctly and he puts the club in so many great positions. Yeah. Um, his finishing move is fantastic. I mean, the way that golf swing finishes is in perfect balance. The club's in the right place. He looks like a tour player. Um, and that's what he is. And I think that's why, you know, he was able to get it done. And I think ultimately, you know, we're going to see more golf out of him. You know, we've seen him making some waves in certain events. We've seen him play well. We haven't seen him break through yet. But again, I mean, we've talked about this before when it comes to guys like that. Does this open the curtains and give him the crowd? Or is this something that he shies away from? Is it tough to come back from? I think for a guy like that, I think we're going to see more golf out of this guy. I, I just truly do. The swing's so good. Um, what he did under pressure, which it's tough to say under pressure when he had a couple shots lead, but I'm sorry. It's under pressure when it's your first tour win and you're flighting fairway woods in there and converting for Eagle in short fashion. That to me just speaks volumes about this guy's um, talent level and you know what he has in between the legs. Starting uh, 63-64 for the golf tournament is pretty good, too. That helps. Yeah, I, that, I read that, that somewhere. Yeah, I read that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I think if you cut – you're right, Mike. He, he does kind of set up with a closed, closed stance, but just the top half, the way the top half works, looks pretty stable, very quiet head, and and everything stays very centered, and his arms just kind of work work really really well. I mean, he's a, a very simple golf swing, easy easy to copy, or I shouldn't say easy, easy to want to copy, um, not easy to copy because um, it's it's difficult to swing like that. He had a he's had kind of a a hit or miss kind of um, year. I mean, he started off pretty well, then he missed a bunch of cuts in a row, and then he had some hot. Kind of low finishes made the cut, but you know, 260, 240. Um, but he he's slowly starting to the last few months play a little better. I actually had him on my DraftKings team last week and then deleted him for somebody else who did not win the tournament. <laughs> so I kicking myself there. But yeah, it was um good win, you know, 1.4 million, ton of FedEx Cup points, two year exemption. That's uh that's huge for some of these Pretty guys. Good. Huge. Yeah, I mean, look, he joined the tour in 22. He's made a little over $5 million on tour in a very short amount of time, about a year and a half. Uh, he's played 65 events. He's made 39 cuts. You know, he's only had five top tens, but I think the guy has been floating on the north side of the cut line for a while. And ultimately, he's been able to put some change in his pocket. And I think, I think he's one of those guys. I mean, what, he played the University of Alabama. A lot of great players have come out of that program. Um, you know, he's got a great class on tour that I think ultimately he can lean on from guys that have come from that program that I'm, I'm sure they have some camaraderie and some some sort of brotherhood that's created. Uh, because as we all know, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Oklahoma yeah, State, these, the Oklahoma they State out players. They they spit out players. They do something right. And once you're out there, you know, you'll find that a lot of those older guys that have made it from that same program, they play a lot of practice rounds together. They go to dinner together. Um, there's certain there's that certain brotherhood. Like a that big brother plays. program. 
there's a big brother prayer. That's the best way of putting it, Mike. And all of a sudden you just kind of get comfortable being around all these other guys that are winning and, and cutting checks every week. Next thing you know, when you're playing practice rounds and you're beating them and you're, you're competing with them and you're watching them cut checks, you just get more comfortable doing it at the end of the day. I mean, Jay, Jay can respond to this as well as I can, uh, even more so than I can. But when I got out playing mini tours at first, you're, you're kind of on your own and all of a sudden you, you have a couple of good finishes. Next thing you know, you create some camaraderie on the range. You start having dinner with some guys. You start kind of going out, drinking with some guys and hanging out. Then you get more comfortable in your own shoes. And it all comes down to just, you know, having that sense of comfort on the grandest stage. And he has that benefit of coming from a a program that gives him the benefit of having a, a large conglomerate of great players that come from that same um, same background that he does. And I think that gives him that sense of comfort that allows him to go out there and be successful. Yeah, you get that. You have that network, you know, of guys, you know. 100%. Whether it's, you know, previous grads, you know, uh, you're playing, whether they come back to the university, even when you're still a, you know, collegiate player and you have a couple other, the Alabamian, Alabamian, or would you even say that? Alabama players, come back and, and play with you and practice rounds and and so forth. And you're like, man, I've played with that guy before. Now I'm on tour. We've already played together. I know him. He knows me. I'm comfortable around him. Let's go to dinner. It's all about getting, you know, like you said, getting that comfort, getting your comfort level up. Like, Hey, I belong here. Like I, I know this player I've played with him. I've beaten him. He's a PGA tour winner, or I've played with this guy. He's one here, here, here. And you're always you're constantly comparing yourself to try to give yourself confidence to be able to compete at that level. And I think it, it definitely certainly helps for some of these guys at Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma State. Um, and you, I don't know if you mentioned another university, but it'd be Wake nice Forest. to see Wake Forest. I mean, it'd be nice to go back and look at how many of these guys, some of these top tier, you know, golf schools. Clemson was up there for one at one point with Lucas Glover. Glover uh, DJ Trahan, Jonathan Bird. Jonathan Bird. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, there's there was probably on tour at any. I think at it's, at one point they had six or seven guys. Kyle Stanley, Matt Kyle Stanley, Kyle Hendricks, or Matt Hendricks. Matt, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, they had a bunch of bunch of guys playing at one point. But yeah, a lot of these guys in the southeast, obviously, you know, they get to play a lot of golf, but. They, they they have this network and they play with these guys all the time. They they they're comfortable with them, and that gives them that immediate comfort level. Like you said, Lee has played with some of these Alabama golfers leading up to. He's like, ah, I know this guy. I've played with him before, or maybe some other guys in the SEC. I've beaten that guy. Like I, and it's not you're you're not comparing every single round. You know, like oh, I beat this guy. I'm better than him. It's not necessarily that. It's just hey, I've played with him. I know what his game is about. Um, I have beaten him a couple of times. He's beaten me, but we we're we're comparable p- players. Like a little if he's more a, comfortable. Yeah, he's a PGA Tour winner. Hey, I then I'm not saying I should be a PGA Tour winner, but like I can I can should be able to compete. Whereas you get maybe a smaller school guy like a JT Poston, uh, Western North Carolina, and that's a, that's a big jump. It, you have to have a different level of confidence to come from that and be like, you know what? I have not played with these guys, but I'm confident enough that I know I can do it. That, that That's almost equally as tough. All right. Real fast, before we get to our picks, I got to ask your opinion on Carlota Saganda. 
So just kind of a fascinating story. First of all, you don't see this a lot. She got penalized for slow play. So first round at the Evian, one of the majors, the LPGA in France. I think it's France. Is it France? I don't know. Europe. I believe the Evian is in France. Yeah. Her group in the first round was out of position, and they were warned. Then a few holes later on the 17th hole, their 17th hole, they get put on the clock. And then on 18, she gets a bad time and is notified after the round when she comes off that she had a bad time and a two-stroke penalty. She fought it so hard, she refused to take the two-stroke penalty and change her scorecard, signed the incorrect scorecard, and left. Therefore, DQ. One, I'm so glad that they actually penalized someone, especially in a major. We just don't see it enough. We've talked, you know, pace of play and can't lay and that kind of stuff. And I don't know. It was just quick, quick take. Would you, I don't know why she would just not take the two stroke penalty. Like I know she didn't play well, but it's a major, like you have the, it's not like she was going to miss a cut. It wasn't like it was Friday. It was Thursday. So she still had plenty of time to play a good round Friday, make the cut, make a check, move the leaderboard. So my said, fuck it. My one question, you know, I kind of understand why I, I feel for her being so pissed, but I, I'm not a big proponent, obviously, of slow play. I think it's, you know, it's not fair to everybody else in the field. I just don't know. Like when they when they were warned, like, were, is she was she the slow player in the group? I know she got penalized at the end. Was she the slow player that was bringing the group down or, what, or was it with the other two players? So. I haven't watched her enough to know what type of players. If she's a is a, if she's a chronic slow play kind of player, and she finally got caught, then yeah, hundred percent. If she wasn't the slow player, and their group got put on the clock because there were other two other players, and she was the one that ended up getting penalized, that that sucks because of one. Uh, and normally they don't they don't penalize you unless you have. Is it the third bad time they penalize you, or is it? I don't know how the LPGA tour so works. I think the LPGA yeah, is like, first first bad time because they didn't put it that time the after you've been on the after you've been put on the clock. After how many put on the times? clock? I think it's the first one after you put on the clock. And do we know how bad the time was? Did she miss about a second, two seconds, twenty uh, seconds? I think it was fifty. Seconds? It was fifty-two seconds, so that it was twelve seconds. <sighs> ah, that seems ridiculous. That's what well, she said. I, I think that was her word that said twelve seconds. Well, look, when you look at the last hole, and I'm looking at her statement here, here's my issue with this. I'm all for penalizing slow play. Let me be very clear about that without question. But she says, and I don't have any, I don't have any verification of this. This is me legitimately looking at, you know, her tweet um, that she posted. She got penalized on the last hole. The group behind was not even on the tee of the par five when she got penalized if no one's waiting on you yeah i i don't think you should be faulted for taking your time a little bit especially if it's you know over a putt on the last hole um that to me seems a little bit egregious if people are waiting on you different story entirely different story entirely um so you get penalized on a putt on the green on the 18th green when the the Group behind them was not was even, not even on, on the, the tee box. Not According even to on her the words. Yeah. 
That's yeah, no, yeah, those that's, are her words. Those are her words. I didn't watch that, but <laughs> I, I can't imagine her putting herself out there like that if they were in fact there. That would also be a, an egregious act. Sure. So I, I tend to lean on her side of believing the fact that you know they they were most likely not there. I don't think she's going to put herself out there like that if if they were, because that would easily be refuted either by camera, by people yeah. that were at the event, sure. from spectators sure. to players, it could easily be refuted. So I, I feel like, no, go ahead. I was just going to say LPGA, PGA. I feel like if you're going to penalize, and they should be penalized because there's so many times where the guys are taking forever or or the ladies are taking forever. And there's plenty of times where there should have been penalties and there's not. And here's an, here's an instance where it's the last hole of the, of the day. And no one's on the hole other other than them. And she takes 12 seconds longer to hit a putt and you're going to penalize them two strokes. Ah, it just seems, it just doesn't seem right. I, if you're, you're going to do time. that, you need to, you need to start clocking people. If they're on the clock and they're on the last hole, are they back? Are they not back in position? Like at that point, what difference does it make? They're on the last hole. So, well, so they, got, they got put on the clock on 17 because they, they were warned on, I think I forget what hole they were warned on, that they were out of position. And then on 17, they were still out of position, hadn't made up any time. That's when they were put on the clock. And then she got the bad time on 18. So I get what you're saying. But I also think, How do you put someone on the clock when there's not a group waiting on them? Well, because that's not what pace of play is. But well, that's that's my point. But it's it that's is. stupid. It needs but to be reevaluated. Like if but it is. if people are waiting on you, then that's one thing. Like I get it. You want them to keep moving, but it's at the same time. It's like if you put them on the clock, they're not the ones holding up. The and you're going to sub, sub, subject them to a two-stroke penalty when no one's waiting on them. Like are the other groups are are they under the same scrutiny? You know, that's the other that's the other thing. Like if you're going to well, do, sure do it, do it. You well, kind of. But are you, are you going to do it across the board? Like, if you're on the last hole, like, they can't go any faster. This is it. Like, I'm here. No, I like, get the whole last hole part. But I think it's also yeah. what the – my guess is what the LPJ is thinking is, like, it's not for that round or that tournament. They're trying to set precedent for future rounds, future events. That sure. was the wrong I, way I, mean, I get it. what they're trying that to do, the but I just think they, they missed the boat. I think they missed there, the boat. There, I guarantee you, at the same time, there was a group out there that was potentially holding up someone. It may have been the group behind them, but they had put all the focus on Charlotta, and ultimately she ended up being the scapegoat. Yeah, for, but you know how that stuff goes. If if all of a sudden it's a par being, five, it wasn't a par three. I if understand that, but three, you're being held. Be I I understand that you're being held up. You're being held up, and then all of a sudden your group struggles on a hole. There's a ruling. There's something, and then all of a sudden. For one split hole, you're out of position too, but you could catch it up. If that could have happened, they had, could have had a bad 17th hole, sure, and fell out of position there. But like they can only go so fast as a group in front of them, so you got to speed up the slower group first to create space for them to push the next group. You know what I mean? It's sure, not about the group. It was it's not about the group space. behind you. It's about the group in front of you. If, if you're on the group in front of them, green, had space. If you're on the 18th green and there's no one, there's no one behind you. No one's waiting, and you're on the tee. Are you not back in position? Like, even if you didn't finish fast enough, like I can't speed it up any more than this. Like, well, like, no, what, because what it, difference you, does it make? I'm not, I'm not slowing the group behind me. Yeah, so I get that. The goal is to keep the pace of play up, and if I'm on the 18th green, I can't go any faster. 
because there's th- this is the end. This is the finale. No one's on the on the tee box. So at that point, hey, you guys are back in position. You're off the clock. That's what should have been done. And they didn't. And yet they gave her a bad time. She took 52 seconds to hit a putt. I mean, I'm I use I'm a pretty fast player, but there are there there's an occasion, especially on 17, 18, when I'm like, hey, this is the end of the round. I'm, I want to make sure I've got this shit right. Yeah. And if she had, I don't know how long the putt was. You've got to walk around the hole. I mean, 52 uh, I seconds, was, not 10, that long. It was 10 feet. Okay, still. But yeah, um, I mean, it's hard It's hard to really judge a situation without really knowing a lot more details. But it doesn't sound good to start. It doesn't yeah, sound good, I mean, especially if, in fact, there was no one waiting I mean, you're on You're talking them. about rules officials that don't like gray area and don't like judgment. You know, once you get put on the clock, you get a bad time. That's it. Like... Oh, yeah. I had that's it, unfortunate. I, a I mean, there's a lot of great rules officials in the game that get it. They understand the game. Um, and 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 I would say good players, they they know who the rules officials are who get it. They're like, man, I they're they're on my side. They I, I'm not trying to get away with anything as a player, but I do know if there's a gray area and that most of the time, most good rules officials are like, hey. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. There's plenty of rules that are going to penalize you. If you're on the fence here and there's a gray area, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And I think this was probably a, a, there's plenty of times where it sounds like this rule could have been enforced in the last 15 years. And now we see it at, at, at the finale of a, of a tournament on the 18th green. Well, not a finale. Think, it was a first round, but a fin- I'd say finale of the round sure. for her. Um, it just didn't seem like it, it'd be one thing if you did it on the fifth hole, like, Hey, we got a big long day here. Sorry. You keep up, keep up. But on the 18th green, no one's waiting that you're, you're uh, essentially you're back in position. You're on the last hole. No one's waiting. You're in position there, I can't go any faster. I can't, once I finish this hole, it's done. So wh- why would I not be in position at this point? We should be off the clock. I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with anything you guys are saying. I'm. A, I'm a little bit playing devil's advocate, but mm-hmm. I, I also just kind of like the fact that you know, make someone, make someone the poster child. I'm okay with it because I think pace and play is stupid. I'm okay with right that. Now. Do it in the right situation. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the things I was going to say is, I remember playing in a Monday qualifier in Greensboro, trying to qualify for the Wyndham, and we were. I don't remember what hole it was. It was we we're getting ready to make the turn. I think it was like eight or whatever it was. And it looked like there was impending weather. So all of a sudden the vans come out, golf carts come out, and we had to legitimately wait probably like a minute and a half for all of these golf carts and the vans to stop moving around the green before we could hit our shot. And it wasn't my shot at that point. I was sitting there waiting. I'd already hit. But we go through and we get to 10, and I had a lie in the side of a bunker that required a little bit more of a, a walk through the shot a little bit more thought than just a normal straightforward chip shot and i hit the chip and i'd, I'd noticed that the rules official had wrote up on our group and i go through hit it and all of a sudden we get the next tee and she said something about us being out of play and i i as respectfully as possible tried to explain like ma'am i apologize i don't know if you noticed you know two holes back we got interrupted by the uh the carts and the vans coming out for the rain delay and she aggressively told me I watched that last shot. You're the reason that this group's behind. And I was, I was just like, I'm sorry. What? I, I was, I was two under at the time and I'm like, trying to qualify, trying to qualify. 
I hit my next ball, OB. She threw me so far off my game. I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll never forget it. And for my oh, they're definitely those rules it. officials in like any would, any sport that want to be made the yeah. A hundred percent. But I was, I was so blown away by how it went down. I was just sitting there just like, because I, I, I tried to explain it and I, I, as respectfully as possible, ma'am, I apologize. You know, I just, I don't know if you saw the reason that our group's a little bit behind It's because, you know, we had the rain lane and she cut me off. She goes, no, you're the reason the group's behind. Oh, and if anyone, whoa, if whoa. Anyone, pointed the finger, pointed oh, yeah. the finger. And if anyone that's played with me and you guys have, I'm pretty you're fast. You know, I'm a pretty fast player. I, I don't, I don't, take a lot of time dilly dally and all that bull stuff i i, I bullshit i i i go on about my business i the less thinking i can do the better off i am i play that dustin johnson game you know you play dumb or smart i play dumb you yeah. know give me a club give me a shot let me just execute and figure out where it goes from there hit it and find it type of situation um but yeah no it's it's unfortunate the way certain rules officials can influence the game um there's nothing against rules officials as a whole I, I I I professionally respect their opinion and their position in the state of golf and the world of golf and especially on the high end tournament level. But it's unfortunate when what it sounds like to me, and this is just you know, hearing this situation, hearing the um the playback of it just it just reminds me of that situation that I had. And I feel like it's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean it's just like any other, you know any other line of business or players, you know, you're going to have, you know, 90% of the, the, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't even say that many, probably less than that uh, professional golfers. You're like, Hey man, they're a good guy. You know, they get, a, I, we get along with them and you've got your 15, 10, 15, 20%. They're like, ah, I don't want to mess with that guy. It's no different with rules officials. I, I would say majority of the rules officials that I've come across. Great they guy. get they they just want to they just want to help they just want to be there to help like I, I, hey can what can i do to help you play better you know i, I don't want to get in the mix but then you have your your one percenters that that are like I, this is my chance to make a rules ruling and they jump in and it's it's kind of a bummer cuz it ruins it for the 99% of the other rules officials that like they, they love golf. They get it. They, if there's a gray area, most of them are going to side with the player. If, if they, if they make it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think most. And that's my experience from 15 years of playing. I feel like most of the time they're, they're pretty, they're on the side of the player, but you do have a few, just like any line of business where you've got your, (laughs) <laughs> they're like, hey, I got to make a name for myself, you know, which is kind of a bummer. Cause that's, that's what we remember. I mean, I, I remember specifically having, um, you know, rules official uh, again, I won't say the tournament. I won't say who it was, when it was, cause I don't want to go there, but I had a rules official. I had a, uh, it was, a, I was in the middle of the fairway and I had a huge uh, drainage grate and I was in the middle of the fairway and I was literally the drain is great, you know, from the level of the ground. I'm trying to describe this as best I can without using my hands because nobody can see me. But I was standing on, I was standing, getting ready to hit my shot. And my heels, my heels couldn't hit the ground because it was such a steep slope down into this, this grate. And I literally, were, I was standing on my toes and my heels were hanging down. But I, I couldn't hit the grate because just physically my body wouldn't allow my, my heels to be, get all the way down. 
but it was severely affecting my stance. And I mean, it was a good foot and a half drop down into this grate. And I was, you know, I went over to the rules official. I was like, hey, can you take a look at this? this I've got, you know, some, you know, unlevel, you know, ground conditions, um, you know, take a look, you know, get, you know, think it could be a drop. And they were like, well, you're not touching the grate, you know, so no, you don't get a drop. And I was like, I'm in the middle of the fairway. Like I'm in the middle of the fairway. I hit a good Wait, shot. Was that Hooters or E-Golf? I'm not going to say. <laughs> I'm not going to say because I your comment. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to say that this is the situation. And and I basically the, the rules official, I think he was trying to do the he was trying to do his job. He thought he was doing the right thing. And I'm not holding this guy accountable. But it was obvious that this is th- this should have been marked with white paint like this is in you know, unlevel ground condition. And I called, I said, I want like a second opinion. Like, what do you, you can't get a second opinion. I'm like, absolutely. I can get a second opinion. And we kind of went back and forth about getting a second opinion. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just go to the, go to the rule sheet and I'll call the director of the, the, the tournament director. And I'll, I don't want to make a big deal, but I, like, I just don't agree with you. And of course I got the tournament director. And they're like, absolutely. This should be marked. I'm sorry. It wasn't marked. And they, they're like, you need a you need a drop. And they gave me the drop and you know, we went on. So again, my my point is I think there are some rules officials that they they want that they want that big payday where like, hey, I'm, I, this is my chance to make a big rules of rules ruling. And then you can also get um the rules official who's experienced, who understands the players, who understands the setting, and they're like, you know what? I, you know, yes, this is this is unfair. Like if there's any bit of a gray area here and this, it, there's an unfair setting uh, and this person's hit a good shot and they've got they're at a disadvantage and I can help them in the rules. They'll do it. I, that's my that's my feeling. You know, again, it yeah, could be I different most, guys, but I think most of them want to they don't want to be. They don't want to get they don't want to disrupt your round. Like, can I let me get out of it the best I can and let you do the. You do the playing. If you play great, go for it. If you play bad, go for it. I don't want to be the deciding factor. So, and this is kind of in 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 this instance with the slow play, I just feel like they they interjected a little too much. But I do understand your point. It's like eventually, there are so many times that slow pace slow play should be called. But at this specific moment on the 18th green on a 10 foot putt when no one's waiting on you, it's like. That's probably yeah. the time Maybe you're, to make you're right there. I just want to see it called more in, in golf. I, I agree. Because I, I would, I would argue in slow play. I would argue what I watch on a weekly basis for the last 30 years of my life is most of the PGA, at least from a PGA tour standpoint, I know this is a LPGA instance, but from a PGA standpoint, I think the players get way too much benefit of the doubt in a lot of rulings yeah. from what I watch. hundred percent. Um, where and and part of that is because I think the the officials in the PGA because they're not right there on the playing field like other sports and they're off they don't want to make the headlines they don't and and they just want to like no okay yeah to sure doing so okay for those guys there's no like, benefit to doing it's, so it's not like a Joey Crawford in the NBA who has to make himself part of the game or some of these guys like I used to hate Joe West maybe it's a short pudgy pale guy's named Joe but Joe West the umpire in baseball. He used to always just have to make himself a part of the game. And yeah. just you had to see him. And, and everyone was talking about Joe West at the end of the game. It's like, what the fuck are we doing? Or they're talking about Joey Crawford at the end of the NBA game. It's like, stay out of this, guys. Um, I well, don't I, think they what, do that. An, an, 
I I appreciate that that they don't get. I mean, you got Slugger. I mean, he's the most famous rules official on the PJ Tour. You know, I mean, I think everyone probably knows who he is. And and if you've watched enough golf, and I I kind of wish that I didn't know who he's the hell he was. Now. Yeah, he's a little guy now, but you know, it's, I think it, Mark Roberts. I, I would there. personally say, I mean, I th- I'd, I'd put it on the player. I mean, if I were a rules official, I'd be like, hey, this is what the rule book says. Like, I can take it one way or the other. If you think that you deserve this drop and we're on TV, uh, go ahead and take it because it's like, I'm out. Like, it, 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 you're basically just helping them officiate themselves. Like, if you think you're entitled to this drop, the rule says you can take it. I mean, I mean there's, a pro, there's plenty of instances where, like, do you, th- are, is your stance affected by this, by this, this you know, or by this cart path? And if you're stretching to reach for it, then who's the rules official to say you're lying? They're just going to say, okay, if you really feel like you're you're making this weird stance, so you can step on this cart path, or you can you make this bush hit your your backswing, or this whatever it is, then go for it. It's up, you know. If that's what's cool about the the game of golf, it's like we we do officiate ourselves in the grand scheme of things. We do have people that help us. Um, you know, go through the rule, the rule book and understand the rule book. But it, again, we officiate ourselves for the most part. So I think most good rules officials kind of push it back on the player. I'm like, you know, Hey, this is what the rule says. And how do you, how do you interpret it? Because if you think you're entitled to drop, then you need to talk to your playing partner and you guys need to make sure that you come to an agreement on it. Um I think that's what makes it cool because I think most of them, they do try to take a step back. I think when they do interject, that's when it's a big, that's when it's a big turnoff for me. I'm like, Oh, here we go. They're, they're trying to get in the mix. They want to make sure that people know that there's a rules official there. Um, But in my opinion, my, my, my interaction with rules officials for the most part, and I've played every tour, every single one, all the way top to bottom, never played the European tour, but everything in, in the, North America, South America, you know, PJ Tour, Web, Corn Ferry, and most of them all want to want to help you out, which is yeah, which is yeah. pretty cool. I, I appreciate that. All right, so Come let's on. let's move on. Uh, we're not going to bring up the Jay Monahan memo tonight. We were going to talk rollback, but it, we're an hour and hour and twelve minutes into this podcast. Roughly, well, can we can we get can we give it a quick five? No, no, no. Nope, it's gonna happen later. We're an hour and twelve into this. There's no such thing as a quick five on this show. This you was got, the best. You guys, thing game you guys are so long-winded. You'll go for thirty am, and think I it's am, five. I got to be honest with you though. I've never been a big fan of Jay Monahan until I saw this memo come out. Never have I been a big he has, fan. He of had his. no other choice. But we'll we'll discuss that at a later date. No, but it's it's incredible the fact that he's going to. So does this mean that the PGA Tour will continue playing with this the balls? that they're currently playing with this the same the same i don't know he, it was kind of not not very clear it wasn't not very it, clear it sounds like it, and if they support this if they or they they go against it and they support saying hey you know, we're gonna play with the current ball and we're gonna keep this we're gonna keep this going can the usga actually make this make this move i mean i can promise you the ball manufacturers don't want this they do not want this there's no there's not Correct. one um message board or or vote or whatever you want to call it whoops oh what happened he got muted damn it how'd that happen <laughs> uh, 
I don't get I don't get what oh, happened. Man. I said we weren't I said we weren't doing this tonight. We're gonna we'll have the the debate of all the merits of all your points. Write them down. Mikey with the control button. Whoops, sorry, my <laughs> finger slipped. That's I don't know if we've ever muted anyone, have we? I think I have, yeah, a couple times. I need to use it more often in all honesty. But well, we need to be able to mute you. How is no. that? Oh, how about that? No, sorry. Once you control the Zoom account, you can do it. Well, I've got a Zoom account. I can host it next time. <laughs> when are you gonna when are you gonna That's fucked? <laughs> we'll, we'll have all those debates. We'll have all those debates at some point. I thought it was gonna be tonight because there wasn't much on the calendar, and we're now an hour and fifteen minutes into this, and we haven't got. You to brought it, so. up Charlotta Singanda well, over Jay Monahan. I thought that was gonna be a two-minute thing. It turns into 12, 15 minutes with you guys, but well, hey, it's it's a golf podcast, and we like to talk golf. So I un- I understand that, but you know, we, we can be a little back and forth, a little faster sometimes to get to other topics. <sighs> well, I am a fast golfer, but I am not a fast talker. We all know that. <laughs> So we're going to get to our picks for the Wyndham Championship. I do want to have a quick discussion before we get to our picks on one other thing. And again, I say quick every time. I agree. This was was an absolute win for the PGA Tour for Jay Monahan to not support (laughs) the role. All right. I did it again. He's muted again. It's so weird. He got muted again. It's so so weird. It's like a game show. So (laughs) can McLean get muted? It's The reason it's an absolute win for Monahan because he had to. He, the players fucking hate him. They all want him to resign. He has you know, to side with them. He has to. I love. I love how uh, <laughs> Mikey, you muted McLean and then you rebuttaled. I did. <laughs> I need to do this way more often. I, this is now going to be a staple of the show. <laughs> what I want to talk about with the Wyndham, I want. I want. This is again. This is not going to be a debate. I want an honest, quick conversation. Yep. Oh, I can unmute myself. I can mute you again. Um, I'm back, <laughs> but I'm back. This back, is baby. About, you know, Jay Monahan made a really no. good point here. He <laughs> took a great, he took a great stance, and you're right, Mike. He does have the the responsibility to respond to the players and to help protect his He's trying to keep his, his job spot in the 100. This was a great way of doing so. I hope that this pressure is applied to the USGA to to totally alienate themselves from this initiative that does not benefit the state of the game. All right, done. That's a false statement, but we'll talk about that at a later date. So real fast, (laughs) real fast. Again, I don't want people saying quick or real fast because it's impossible. But JT. I'm trying to mute him. What is JT's problem? I think he's. I think he needs to see another teacher. I mean, and I don't think it. I don't think it's a swing. I don't think his swing looks fine. I mean, it looks fine. Um, and I know he works with his dad, and and that's great. I think he's he should probably go see Butch or something like that. Just give him a different perspective. Just and it's not like, hey, let's change a bunch of things. I think he just needs to go see another teacher, get another perspective, just something fresh, change it up. We all know he's a very good player. He's probably a top 20 player in the world, top 25 player in the world, not a top yeah. 10. Um, and he's he's proven that he's not a top 10, but he's a very good player, which I will definitely agree with. He is uh, – but I, I, 
I think that he just needs to see someone, someone different, get another perspective. That's all. Okay. I go, think Mike, ultimately it comes back to the fact love it. that Thank you. Is, is, he obviously is not as confident with the putter as he has been. I did notice that his pre-shot routine, it almost looks like he's trying to lay the golf club off a little bit more and try to keep it from getting across the line at the top, which he's never really been pronounced with across the line. But ultimately, if you looked at the shot routine this week, you could tell he was really trying to open up that club face, taking it back in his pre-shot, which historically he's taken it back and it's been more shut face, taking it back. It was very pronounced this week where he was taking it back, really trying to roll that left hand over and get that club face more open going back. And the only thing that I saw, because he hit some really great shots. I watched a lot of his golf earlier in the week, uh, especially when he was on the early round on Friday. I got well, unfortunately, he only played early in the week. Yeah. Mike, great great input. Thanks for, thanks for chipping in. Um, but I did notice that he had a very pronounced – somewhat of a, a layoff of opening up the club face in his pre-shot routine, which means that he, you know, he's trying to really get that club face more open. But yet the only miss that I saw that he introduced was the high right, the, the lost right miss all of a sudden, which historically, you know, he's always been kind of more of a draw player and he's kind of, you know, always played that draw. I don't, I don't necessarily agree that that's the direction he needs to go. I think he needs to, you know, come back and embrace the draw. I think that right now he's searching for other reason it, it to me it's obvious it's it's on the short grass it's the putting you know he's not he's not converting at the clip that he's used to doing and the unfortunate part is i think he's starting to blame some of it on his golf swing and all of a sudden starting to potentially make some changes where the change doesn't need to be made you know we see him experimenting with a counterbalance putter this week so that tells me immediately that he knows something's up there but he's trying to experiment with a different putter and also trying to make a different move at the, in in the golf swing that when when you are when you've lost confidence in the golf swing and the putting stroke, it is very difficult to play good golf. It's obvious that that's where he is currently. Jay, I don't disagree yeah. with you. Put him in front of Butch Harmon. Butch Harmon would tell him, "Buddy, Double shut that it. club face down. Shut that club face down and release them hips and let it rip." I mean, he, he hit a bunch did. of great shots. He hit some drives out there that he outdrove. Um, my God, what's his name? They both hit in the fairway, but he outdrove him with nine mile an hour less club head speed because that's how much more optimized his launch and spin characteristics are. Um, I I love watching him hit eighty to sixty yard wedge shots. That is so attractive. He is so it's pretty good silky. He's pretty so silky. The the tempo is so nasty. He he knows how to fight it in there. He knows whether he needs it to suck back or needed to take one hop and stop or take two hops and let it release a second. He is so good in that range. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think he's, he's in a mental, he's in a mental state right now where he's trying to solve something with the golf swing and the putting stand. But I don't think it comes from the golf swing. Ultimately. I really don't. I think the golf swing is sound. I think his ball striking is sound. I think ultimately he's missing some putts and he's trying to look for different answers and different avenues. And I think that's where he's getting kind of a cross buzz uh, and, and, yeah. and trying to look for too many, too many reasons to make changes. Well, so yeah, he, he is, I, I think, I think you well, Mike, you're probably going to spit off some stats here that I was just looking at. Yeah. I think, I think historically he's always been a pretty good iron player and he's been a very good wedge player. And he, and I think he chips the ball pretty well too. And he, 
I think he maximizes distance. I don't think he's the longest guy on tour by any means, but he maximizes pound for pound. He, he maximizes what he has. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think this year, I mean, if you look at the stats, I mean, he, he, he's driving the ball really poorly and he's putting really poorly. And again, we've, we've talked about this, you know, you can ball strike everybody to death, but you also can't be the worst. You can't be the worst driver on tour and you can't be the worst putter on tour. Like you can be like Scotty Scheffler obviously is one of the best drivers, the best iron players, and he's one of the worst putters. You can be one of the best iron players and the best putters and an okay driver, and you can still do okay, but you can't be the worst at both of those. I mean, he's yeah, but I mean, he's, he's still one, he's still uh, a positive strokes gained in every stat pos- except for putting. Positive strokes gain, which I, I again I know that everyone loves that stat, but he also is only he's one thirty eighth in driving accuracy. So again. I, I I love the driving. I love the strokes gain off the tee, but there's also j- just driving actually in general. Like, what do you? How are you setting yourself up for for the round? Like, and that it it's it's hard to measure that with strokes gain because you're you're just not setting yourself up for a you know a, a great shot into the green. So, do you hit a three twenty in the rough and like do you make bogey? No, but you you if you hit in the fairway at three ten you would have had a great opportunity to make birdie. So I, I get, I, I think that stat is a little, I do love strokes gain. I think it's very true, but I think we still got to look at the, the, the basic stats too. I think it's, it's more of a mentality setup too. So it's not so much like how, how does it affect, you know, the actual numbers, but like you can tell, like when you watch him play, like it, this in his strokes gain, you're like, Oh, he's still good in strokes gain off the tee, but you watch him play. He drives the ball all over the place. And he and he doesn't give himself very very many opportunities to make birdie because he's hitting it all over. And then you watch him putt, and he he misses everything. So it's like I, again, I, I know you. We look at strokes gain, and it's it's probably more important. But there there is something to be said for driving actually in a sense that if you're ranked that low, and you, and your driving distance isn't like at the very very top, um, it, it it definitely affects it a little bit. I mean, though, when I watch him play, I see him hit the ball. Left and right, left and right, and I see him miss putts. I still see him yeah. swing swing his irons really well, and he's still decent with his you know strokes gain approach to the green thirty ninth. Um, but his strokes gain off the tee is sixty six, and I think that's solely attributed to the, his distance off the tee. And I think that's what count, that that balances out is how far offline he's hitting it. And again, yeah, yeah that's I, a part of what strokes gain off the tee is. It's not just accuracy, not just distance; it's the combination of the two. I, again, I, and I get it, but I think I I think there is a there's a balance mentally. And I mean, if, again, you're looking you're looking just at the numbers, but like, should he be gaining more off the tee? And it's it's still pot. It's still if you look at the strokes gain off the tee and you look at the stats, you're going to see oh, he's strokes gain off the tee sixty six. Okay, is sixty six strokes gain off the tee for a guy who hits at three twenty? That's not good. That's not no, good. Not I, good. I, I, I know it's better than the average, but it's still not good. So again, I, I think you got to look at each player and w- where they hang their hat. Like he hangs his hat on driving the ball well, hitting it in play, and he's a great iron player, great wedge player. And when he's putting well, he's you know top twenty player in the world. Um, and when he's not, he's you know he's. He I mean, he's still he's still twenty fifth tee to green though. 
Yeah. Again, he's not going to make the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, 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 that's how bad he is putting right now. He's 158 strokes game putting, you know, you know, I, I, again, like, I think there is a fine line. We, we always talk about ball strikers, like, but there is a fine line. Like if you're kind of a, uh, a mid grade and strokes game total, he's 50th, but you're, you're, you're 158th in strokes game putting. Like yeah, you're if you balance if you average those two out, you're right on the you're right on the edge of not making the the playoffs, you know. In terms of your overall FedEx Cup rankings, I think they're pretty accurate. You know, if you add those two up and divide them by two, there he is. You know, he's he's right on the yeah. But strokes, on the, the strokes game total factors in the strokes game putting. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree. I'm, I'm looking at strokes. I was thinking strokes gain uh, approach and strokes gain putting. I'm sorry. If you add those two up and average the two, he he's right on the edge of you know not making the not making the playoffs. Yeah, um, I think it I think it'd be best for him to not make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and I, we didn't even get into this, and we'll probably get into it next week. And in, in terms of who should make it, I know he's he needs to finish 18th or better, and it may be even better than that to to make it to make do. the playoffs. Depending on what other guys may, depending on how other guys play, and and I've even said on this podcast, like I, while he's not playing well, I think he's a great great guy to have on the Ryder Cup team. But he's got to prove himself a little bit. The last five or six events, he's played really poorly. Um, so I don't think I don't think even Justin Thomas would expect Zach Johnson to pick him right now. Uh, unless he plays well, if he if he goes out and finishes top ten and makes the FedEx Cup playoffs and maybe makes it to the uh, what the second event is the 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 BMW, yes, yeah. If he makes it to the BMW and he say he has a decent finish in the BMW and just misses at the Tour Championship, you know, I could see where he could say, "Hey, I may have played three good weeks and I maybe didn't sneak into that top." Top twelve. What is he? Fourteenth right now on the Ryder Cup rankings. Yeah, I don't so, have it in front of me. But even but, even Fred Couples was did a podcast or an interview, and he kind of spilled yeah. the beans and said, "Yeah, Jordan Spieth is in, Homa's Homa in, and Cam Young were basically in." And he did not in. say that about Jordan Spieth. I mean, uh, no. Justin Thomas. Excuse me. No, he's so. he kind of he he cut himself off early and said, "I've said too much. That's that's enough." Which I don't think anybody based on where they are right now and their history and how they've played over the last two years. I don't think anyone would dispute that those picks. No. Um, and unfortunately, Justin has just hasn't played well in the last, you know, four to six months consistently. But again, like, I, again, I think he's a great, he's been on that team quite a few times. And if he does play well in the next two to three weeks and he's got some consistent finishes, that would make Zach Johnson's decision a lot tougher. Um, in my opinion, because he's he's a he's a team he's a team player, and I think he's a grinder, and I think he's a guy that you would want to play with in a Ryder Cup. Um, I think he feeds off that energy. Um, I would, like I said, I've said in the past, I'd play with him if I were on, if I were on a Ryder Cup team and I could pick a player to play with, I'd probably play with that guy just because he's tough. I just think it's best that he missed the playoffs, take a bunch of time off, figure it break, out, put the clubs away. Yeah. Figure it out. Get back at it. Maybe have somebody else look at his swing. Just, just, just get away. He's been grinding, been grinding. He's mm-hmm. played a whole bunch of weeks in a row now, trying to make this damn playoffs. I think it's actually best if he just misses it. Like, don't have a, don't get down this crazy rabbit hole and have a three-year slump. 
like a Ricky Fowler. Just make this a, a one-year slump. Get your shit together in the offseason and, and come back better. Just put have, just be forced to put the clubs away for a while. Yeah, I mean that's that certainly is an option for sure. So, so. All right, let's get let's get to our picks. McLean, you won last week. You get to go first. I'm ready. Uh, I can pull my team up here. Uh, fire when ready. All right, starting from the top. Now we're here, Mister Sam Burns, ten thousand. Uh, moving south, guy that went for it last week, got to love. He's trying to win a golf tournament, Mr. JT Poston, 9,200. Um, south from there, guy that had the tournament low on Sunday, Mr. Bo Hostler, 8,300. And then going to the stalwarts, guys that you talk about horses for courses. Um, Webb Simpson, $7,400. He has historically played incredibly well at this venue. He knows North Carolina golf as good as anyone knows North Carolina golf. Um, and then moving down from there, another guy that I think just has been playing very well as of recent and also uh, can play well at a venue like this, Mr. Matt Kuchar, 7,400. And a guy, a guy who T2'd last week. I think, again, you talk about the all-time value picks right now, a guy who's playing very well, Mr. Kevin Streelman, $7,300. That's my squad. I like it. A lot of lot of wily veterans there. So this is the last week, right? Yes. What's the what's the total of that? Am I reachable? No, this is the last week. We got all the way to the tour championship. Come on. Are we with the limited field? Okay. Sure. Yeah, that's what we've always done. We've done sure. them all. Sure. Come on. You guys have you guys have rigged this. <laughs> no, you're at 130. I'm at 116. Jay's at 112. Say that again. What are those numbers? 130 for McLean, 116 for myself, 112 for you. Okay. Yeah, it's not completely. completely we double. Not what, bad part what is, is that, it? For, what is it for first? 10. 10 for first. Okay. So, yeah, there's nice not a couple You're, you're mathematically still in it. Still in it. Still in it. The bad we part is four, I, rode four events. Guys, I rode you guys' winnings on DraftKings pretty much for the year. And then I moved to Tennessee and the sports book was legal. And uh, I had to make a deposit this past week. <laughs> All right, Jay Bird, um, you get your squad uh, ready. Yep, I'm ready. Um, uh, this is a this is a weird lineup, but um, here we go. Uh, Chesson Hadley, seven thousand um, dollars. Good play. Yeah, he's played. He's played well here. He's actually playing well um, as of late. I was kind of trying to pull up his stats, but either way. He's going to finger snap his way all the way to a, uh, a cut in a top 25 finish. Um, then I go up to Garrett Kigo. He's kind of right on the on, on the line here to make the the top 70, uh, but playing some really good golf, 13th, 19th, 21st, 33rd. He, he finished 145th at the Travelers um, and then finished 50th, 30th prior to that. So, I'm playing some good golf, um, and at that price, again, I think he's he's. I hope my hope is that he he makes the cut and and plays well. Um, Akshay Batia, the guy's just playing good. He's from that area. He works with Chase Daniel and Raleigh. He's 20 minutes away. I know he's played Sedgefield at least 50 times. Um, so uh, it would not surprise me. I don't I don't think he's going to win um, the tournament by any means. 
I think that would be a stretch coming out. He did take the week off last week. Um, but he is fighting for, again, he's fighting for a, uh, um, a playoff spot. And I think he's just outside the number right now to get in the FedEx Cup playoffs. So, uh, he's on that temporary exemption. Obviously now he's a temporary member, but I think he could still earn a spot. Um, he's playing good. He's a talented dude. Uh, then I jump up to Denny McCarthy, 8,700 guys playing some good golf. Again, he's in, he's in a position where he can kind of, you know, really push himself up and, and guarantee a spot into the, the, uh, tour championship. So I would, I would, I would foresee him playing some good golf. He didn't play well at the open championship, 76, 78. Now, I don't know if that was just due to him playing, you know, overseas and not used to it. But he's back on soil that he's comfortable with. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he played well. Um, and I'm going to kind of switch it up. I'm I'm going with uh, my top-tier guy, Russell Henley at 10-2. Um, he's played well here. You guys can look at the stats. I mean, he he definitely likes this place. Really good ball striker. This place is – we know it's a par 70, not long. It, it The guys who hit the ball close to the hole with their irons – Play well, and he's played well here. Fifth, seventh, ninth, thirty-first. He did miss a cut in twenty eighteen, forty-six in twenty sixteen, but he's played really well here. He was a leader either last year or the year before. Kind of, I don't want to say blew it on the last day, um, but just faltered on the last day. So he does like this place, and it would not surprise me if he wins uh, heading into the FedEx Cup playoffs. I'm going to put some some shillings on Russell Henley. Okay. To uh, to get get it done, he's played too well here, and he's actually been playing well for the most part consistently this year. Uh, again, didn't play well at the Open, but prior to that, very very consistent. Um, and last but not least, um, my best pick, just because I think he's not one of the best um, players in the game. He's not a top ten player. No way. By any means. No way. But I do think he will rise to the occasion, and I think he will try his best to make Zach Johnson's life a living hell over the next two weeks. And I think Justin Thomas finishes in the top 10 and gets into the first round of the FedEx Cup playoffs. I'm not going to comment on what he does the next week, but I think he sacks up and gets it done and top 10s this week, and he, uh, again, gets into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Wow, hell just froze over. Hell just froze over. I mean, I, 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 you know, I pick players that are kind of mediocre. They're kind of in the middle of the road. <laughs> All right, okay. Uh, not a ton of uh, crossover in these picks. Jay and I have a couple, so I have a bunch of guys down at the bottom of my roster, kind of same uh, in a similar price range, seventy five hundred to seventy seven hundred. Uh, I got Lucas Glover, South Carolina boy, been playing well. I, I took him um, last week, and it did not pay off for me. And after a great run of events, and he missed a cut, but I'm going to take him again. I'm going to I'm going to keep riding that. I think just being down and on some Bermuda grass and all that kind of stuff, he does feel a little at home there in, in Greensboro. Then I go up to uh, Billy Horschel, has played well at this venue in the past. Had a great week. He's really battling to make. Um, the playoffs he's even further away than jt and so but he did play well he he always kind of seems to rise to the occasion not sure he'll he'll get it quite done to to make the playoffs but i like horschel down in the southeast then i'll go uh eric cole seventy seven hundred dollars 
has been really just hasn't had a ton of high finishes, but just a cut machine recently. So yeah. I anticipate him making another cut, earning me some points this week. Uh, and then I also have Akshay Batia. Batia. I apologize. I'm not quite sure how to say his last name. But uh, just like you said, Jay, obviously one from that area, just kind of going to feel good, has some good vibes there, playing well, confident. I like him. Then I will go to my my number one guy first because my second guy is going to win it. But my number one guy, 10,800, Sungjae M. Just took the top guy. I just I just think yeah. he's going to play well. Um, just he's just too good, too solid, not to. But at eighty seven hundred, the winner, Jay, you had him, Mister Denny McCarthy, Denny. is going to win. He's going to get his first victory. He like profiles like perfectly with every other winner of this tournament. Yeah, and I'm putting money on Denny McCarthy to win this week. So I like that. I like that play. There you go. There's our squads. Um, we'll check it out. I I don't mind this event. This is better than like a 3M or well, it's a great venue. The golf yeah. course is fantastic. Got some history in good shape. McConnell does an incredible job with their properties, and they have a an open checkbook to make sure that this place is in primo shape when the Wyndham comes into town. So, and our goes to McConnell Golf. Uh, Sedfield's going to put on a great event. And our our boy Mock Brazel, who we had on last year on the pod, the tournament director. Down there runs a great show as well. Yeah. So, um, I look forward to uh, catching it when I'm on vacation over the weekend, which is a programming note. We will not have a show next week because I'm not going to be in town. And my I wife, think Jay, would and be- I are going to have a show. I, I I think Jay and I are going to have a show. We're going to talk rollback, and it's yeah, gonna be a very one-sided good luck, argument. Good luck editing and publishing Fantastic. that. We won't talk any Boston golf. We won't. We won't need editing because Jay and I don't fuck up. Okay, I'm just saying you're not going to be able to get into the council and you know how to do any of it, but that's okay. I've done it for two and a half years. <laughs> We've offered. Yeah, I'm not saying you, you haven't offered. I'm just saying good luck doing it next week. Yeah. <laughs> you won't let us do it. You won't let us. Let there's me a, in. There's a reason. Let me in. There's a very I good know, reason. Trust you. We trust you to edit, but there's a times where you do not edit the things that should be edited. But that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I got a full time job and a family, so it's hard to, you know. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> All right, gents. Thanks to our listeners, as always. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks, and at some point, we'll get to a rollback debate here. And McLean is just chomping at the bit. Chomping. Look, I want to talk Jay Monahan real quick. Like what he's done, I think this is the best thing he's ever done uh, in terms of aligning himself with what is actually good for the game. And I think it's something that we need to draw attention to. Definitely, stop with attention. Okay, well, you're both muted, so I can end this show. So well, I can unmute myself. I didn't <laughs> know this feature was real, but it is. All right, we appreciate it to the listeners. Thank you as always for tuning in. And I will back. We will catch you on the flip side. Cheers. Cheers.